don't know about you guys, but I think it was a great Advent and Christmas season here at church, wasn't it? And, and you know, and even though we tend to kind of really rush through it, uh, it really is a season. Uh, it's a season with three phases. There's, uh, whoa, there's Advent that uh, looks forward to the coming of Christ, both his first coming in Bethlehem and his second coming in glory and in power. Uh, and that phase ends on uh, Christmas Eve, and then it launches into the 12-day celebration of Christmastide. Uh, and then following Christmas on the 6th of January, we have Epiphany, the day that we celebrate and commemorate the arrival of the wise men in Bethlehem to worship Christ and to bring him gifts. And, you know, of course, there's also the, the secular, there's the, the worldly equivalent uh, of these three sacred seasons, uh, three sacred phases of Christmas. Uh, in the secular phase, there's the season of maxing out the credit cards, which begins on the day after Thanksgiving, uh, ends in a flurry of wrapping paper on Christmas morning, and then transitions uh, very quickly into a period of despair when the postman arrives after the first of the year bearing uh, visa bills that will last for several months to come. We're not quite there yet. But you know, there's another tradition that we observe this time of year, and that's the making of New Year's resolutions. I didn't say keeping. I said the making of New Year's resolutions. But you know, there's, there's something uh, about hanging a brand new calendar on the wall that convinces us that we now have the willpower to do all the things that we were failing miserably at just the day before, right? It's kind of the, the triumph of hope over experience. And uh, we convince ourselves that uh, we're going to give up smoking or uh, save more money or lose weight or maybe exercise more. Have you ever tried to get into a gym at the first of the year? Right? Those places are packed. Well, this morning I'm uh, not going to tell you how to become thinner or smarter or healthier or wealthier. In fact, uh, I'm not even sure I would have the credibility to give advice on several of those areas. Uh, but what I would like to do is suggest a resolution for your spiritual life. A resolution that each of us as followers of Jesus Christ ought to make as we enter the new year, and that is to enter it without fear. And I think we really all need that because anymore as a society, you know, we seem to be afraid of everything, right? Uh, we're afraid not to lock up our houses and our cars. We're afraid not to give a sizable chunk of our income to insurance companies just in case that house burns down or the car gets stolen or someone decides to trip over our sidewalk and sue us. Uh, we're even afraid of making the simplest of financial transactions, which is why our, our debit cards now have 16 numbers on the front and three on the back and a security chip, not to mention having to have a PIN number, all of which uh, they tell us can now be uh, hijacked by thieves that don't even have to steal your wallet anymore but can just walk past you and hack it electronically with a cell phone in their hands. And, you know, all of those things, though, are just relatively minor problems compared to some of the things that we've uh, witnessed in the world this past week. Uh, the mayhem and the destruction, some of it natural, some of it man-made. And that's really where our extended look at the book of Psalms comes in. And if, if you're joining us for the first time, we've, uh, we're taking an expository look through the book of Psalms, and we're up to Psalm 27. Uh, but because the Psalms... And especially those penned by David seem to express so clearly uh, and face so honestly the fears that we experience in the midst of life's difficulties. 
and offers to us the, the answer that uh, points the way for us to experience true peace uh, in a sometimes painful world. And we're going to see that today in this next psalm in our series, as I said, Psalm 27. So this morning, I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, I invite you to turn to Psalm 27, where we hear how David looked at the future uh, and see, hopefully, how we can step into tomorrow night without fear. So if you join me in Psalm 27, uh, it's a psalm of David, and he writes in verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says... To you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And, you know, fear is a powerful emotion. And it, it comes to us in a variety of ways. And, and just really quickly, before we talk about its negative impact, I think it's uh, important to acknowledge that fear is not always bad. There are some kinds of fear that are good and that are appropriate and keep us from harm. You should be afraid of some things. Otherwise, like uh, when the kids and I are visiting bush gardens, I might be tempted to crawl over the fence and pet one of the polar bears <laughs> or take a jump into the shark tank when I know full well that I can't swim. Uh, but fear holds me back, and, and hopefully it does for you too. But you know what we don't want? We don't want fear that escalates from protecting us to the point that it's controlling us. And, you know, if you think about it, the majority of our fears are really are about control or the lack of it. You know, none of us can guarantee success in our finances or our careers or of our physical well-being. Uh, you know, our companies could be downsized or sold and leaving us without a job or without promised retirement benefits. The stock market could tank and take our nest egg with it. Uh, and in the same way, neither our personal health nor the health of our families can be guaranteed. Uh, and so in all of those areas, if we are our own primary source of security, uh, we're going to be tempted to panic. Maybe all the time. 
And that's where another good kind of fear can be helpful because just like physical fear that keeps us from doing stupid things, there's a healthy kind of fear in our relationship to Almighty God. Not a, not a terrifying kind of fear that sends us running like from that polar bear, uh, but instead a deep and abiding reverence for who He is uh, and a knowledge that He created the universe and us and that one day we will all appear before Him to give an account for our lives. And, you know, if you're in a right relationship with God and if you have a proper reverence for Him, you'll never have to fear anything else. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. And that's why David wrote, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And you know, he's saying people in circumstances may seek to destroy our lives, but brothers and sisters, none of those things can touch our souls. And the only one who actually does have the power to destroy our soul has no intention of doing so, because he loves us. That's why our Lord tells us in Matthew chapter 10, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell he continues are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from my father but even the hairs of your head are numbered fear not therefore you are of more value than many sparrows and i should qualify there Uh, you know when i say that uh, the lord loves you and cares for you i'm not talking about Uh, or affirming universalism. You know, this is not uh, the idea that everyone's saved and we all go happily to heaven. Uh, This hope and this consolation that David wrote about and that Christ preached about is directed to those who are committed followers of the Messiah. And really simply put, if you have not publicly declared your faith in Him, this promise doesn't apply to you. And you have good reason to be afraid. Because God is the light and the salvation of only those who are inside a covenant relationship with him. Just like David was. A man who had incredible favor with God, but also who was a person that was not without enemies. Whether it was Saul or the Philistines or even his own son Absalom. But we know that God didn't allow David to fall into the hands of any of those enemies. And so he says to us today, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, My adversaries and my foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And you know, really in a fallen world, it shouldn't surprise us that there are uh, people and organizations that seek to harm the people of God. I don't know if you saw it in the news, but uh, just two weeks ago in a continuing crackdown on Christianity, Chinese officials detained a uh, hundred members, including the pastor of the Early Reign Covenant Church. It's a Protestant uh, house church in western China. Uh, and before the raid, uh, church members' social media accounts and online discussions were blocked. Uh, the church's phone line was cut. Church leaders' homes were ransacked. Uh, and, and according to reports from the story, uh, police confronted members overnight, the, the Saturday night before worship, uh, trying to force them to sign a pledge to stop meeting altogether. And in a, a statement after the raid, one of the church elders said, last year, meeting 2017, uh, 3,000 Christians were detained in China, and this year the number has now topped 10,000. And this man continued, he said, 
Uh, but even if we are down to our last five members, our worship and our gatherings will still go on because our faith is real. Because our faith is real. And he adds, persecution is a price worth paying for the Lord. And he said, we would rather live through it than hide our faith. And we hope that more Chinese churches will speak up and stand with us. Now, you know, you and I may never actually find ourselves being surrounded by government officials here ready to haul us all away, although increasingly the fear of that possibility is not as far-fetched as you may think. But even if we are, Psalm 27 confidently proclaims that the one who fights on our behalf is greater than the assembled armies that could possibly be mustered against us. And like those Chinese Christians, though, you know, we can't read that as an ironclad promise that no harm will ever come near us. Uh, obviously, good and godly men and women have been persecuted and tortured and martyred across the ages. But rather, this psalm is a meditation on uh, the confidence that we're to have knowing that God has a good and eternal purpose for us. Uh, that's why David prayed in verse 4 of today's psalm. He said, one thing I ask of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And so you see, in the midst of all this, David isn't pleading with God to to take him out of the real world. He only asks that while living in the thick of it, only that he might always enjoy an intimately connected friendship with God. And that he might spend as much time as possible in the presence of our Lord and in the shelter of his house. Which leads us into verses 5 and 7. Uh, through seven when he says today for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble he will conceal me under the cover of his tent he will lift me high upon a rock Uh, and then he says now and now right now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me and i will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy i will sing and make melody to the lord hear O lord when i cry aloud and be gracious to me And answer me. And you know, God did answer David, didn't he? And he did shelter him and provide for him and provide for his men from his sacred tent. Uh, If you remember the story at one point uh, in David's life when he was running from Saul and uh, in fear for his life, not just from enemies, but from actual uh, severe physical hunger that he asked the priest Ahimelech uh, for food from the tabernacle. Do you guys remember that story? And the priest gave David the sacred bread of the presence, bread that David should have been afraid to eat because it was God's. Uh, It was God's holy, sacred, consecrated bread. But right then it was the only bread that was available. And to get the context of uh, what the big deal about this was, let me explain just briefly. Because I think it really leads directly into David's next thought in Psalm 27. So just follow me on a little detour here. Uh, The command to make and to keep this sacred bread that Uh, that David ate, to make it available in the tabernacle comes from Leviticus 24. And obviously we don't have time to read that now, but you can do that for homework later. Uh, But every Sabbath, these new loaves were placed on a table in front of the Holy of Holies. Uh, And the old loaves were taken off and eaten by the priests. And if you go home, you can uh, can read this story. You'll see uh, in some of the translations, the bread is called showbread. But the word used in the text literally means in Hebrew, the bread of the face. The bread of the face. Because it was always uh, to be right in front of God there, right 
before the presence of the face of the Lord in his sanctuary. Which gives, I think, all the more meaning and context to verse 8 today when David writes uh, in our psalm, You have said, Seek my face. My heart says, Your face, Lord, do I seek. So you see, David was seeking the face of God and God answered his prayer. Physically in those loaves of bread that fed his body, but spiritually in that wonderful prophetic picture that the showbread represented. The promise of a Messiah. The, the face of God, as it were, uh, in the promise of the visible presence of God in the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ, uh, and in him alone. And so don't miss this pre- uh, precious little nugget here. God is saying to you and me, seek my face, seek my presence, all of it, uh, and you won't find it in yourself or in anything else. I know the prevailing advice out there in the world is, If you're afraid or confused and you don't know what to do, just follow your heart, right? It's the key point of any Disney movie, follow your heart. But you know, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So you see, to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ is to look away from yourself, to look away from your fears, to look away from your failures and your own personal opinions and your own attempted good works uh, and to look exclusively at the Lord Jesus Christ. But how do you do that? How do you uh, free yourself from fear and, and seek God's face? Well, we do it by means of God's word. We do it in private prayer. We do it here in divine worship and in the sacraments that you and I have uh, available to us to receive. All of those humble and ordinary means of grace That's where we see God's face. And that's also where our fears recede. So brothers and sisters, please don't waste those things because they're a gift. They're a gift. David knew that. That's why he pleaded today in verse 29, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Uh, Because you know, sadly, uh, we all have, I'm sure, Uh, No people among our own family and friends. Uh, There are people that don't see the face of God in the scriptures. So don't take it for granted if you do. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them that we should walk in his ways. That's why verse 11, David continues, teach me your ways, Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my enemies. You know, just as David asked to know God more intimately, he also asks to be more familiar with God's ways and for protection from the fear that he might fall off of that uh, path of a good and godly life. And, you know, he knew that his enemies were looking for an excuse to, uh, to disparage him. And to disparage his faith in God. So his prayer in essence here is, Lord, guide me and teach me your ways so that people won't have an excuse to malign you. And you know, we see that if if people at work or in your neighborhood or in your park or wherever you interact, if they know you're a follower of Jesus, I guarantee you that they're watching you. Guarantee it. Some of them are watching expectantly, uh, wondering if there's anything to this faith at all. 
uh, wondering if there really is any freedom from fear or any better type of life out there or really anything waiting for us as a better world beyond the grave. And they're hoping that you're right. But there are other people watching too. There's others watching hoping that you'll mess up royally, hoping that uh, something that you do will give them an excuse not to believe and to discount Christianity. And so for both their sakes, both those types of people, our prayer needs to be, Lord, teach me your ways and lead me on a level path. Which leads right into verses 12 and 13 today when David wrote, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And those two verses kind of parallel verses 2 and 3 that we've already looked at and they reiterate David's consternation at the savagery of the enemies that are all around him and his fear of their vicious words and yet his complete trust in God to be his redeemer and to do it in the future promise of a Messiah. And so he closes this beautiful psalm in verse 14. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know, I don't know about you, but honestly, waiting is... uh, not something many of us are very good at, myself included. Uh, I don't know about you, but you know, when you go to McDonald's, you don't normally say to the girl that takes your order, uh, hey, no hurry on those fries, right? Take all the time you need. Uh, you fellas go fishing, you don't normally say to your fishing buddy, man, I, I sure hope those fish don't start biting anytime soon because I really want to sit here all afternoon and bake in the hot sun. Uh, I guarantee you right now there's not a person... Uh, sitting here in church that's ready to lean over to the person sitting next to them and say, uh, hey, I sure hope the pastor preaches another 30 minutes. Because <laughs> I would hate to get to the restaurant before everybody else does. Right? Maybe somebody would. But, but you know, waiting isn't easy. Especially when you want to know when deliverance is going to come. Or when you're going to feel better. Or when life is going to get easier. Or when those who seek to hurt us will uh, finally get their payback? Or when will the future stop being so frightening? And you know what the answer is? In God's time. But we don't always like that, do we? It reminds me of the quote by the uh, English preacher, uh, Philip Brooks, who said, The trouble is I'm in a hurry and God isn't. Right? The trouble is I'm in a hurry and God isn't. Have you ever felt like that? when we're in a hurry and God isn't. And since we don't know the particulars of what God has exactly planned for us, we need to trust in Him and wait. But to do that, you don't have to take matters into your own hands. You don't have to sit around and worry about what's going to happen next. You don't have to run out and buy this year's latest and greatest self-help books. And you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Because God's answer to fear is not a clever argument or a formula, or a good work, or a righteous deed that you have to take, God's answer to fear is a person. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. The perfect, sinless Son of God on the cross of Calvary, and that great exchange that was accomplished there where the worst about us was unfairly placed upon Him, and the best about Him was graciously given to us. Uh, And if we seek His face, and hear His voice, and turn our hearts to Him, We need to do that so that we can step not only into 2019, but into eternity free from fear uh, and confident in the fact that the Lord is my light and my salvation. 
if we've received him by faith. Have you done that? Have you received him by faith? I hope that you have because, you know, the world is just way too scary to live without him. Will you pray with me?